Hello, you're listening to With Open Mouths. I'm your host, Conita Lilla. Today, we're delighted to be speaking to Rajni Pereira, who was born in Sri Lanka in 1985 and lives and works in Toronto. Her art explores issues of hybridity, futurity, immigration cultures, monsters and dream worlds. In her work, she seeks to open and reveal the dynamism of the icons and objects she creates. Rajni creates a subversive aesthetic that counteracts antiquated oppressive discourses and acts as a restorative force through which people can move repressive modes of being towards reclaiming their power. Rajni was the 2022 Kruner Artist in Residence at Queen's University. In this episode, we talk about the joy of making new worlds, of staying grounded, and of maintaining a rigorous artistic practice. Thank you, Rajni, for being with me today. Um, it's Thanks it's for a first. Me. It's a pleasure. It's the first time I've actually seen your work in like um, real life. Yes, I've seen um, I've seen it online, but it's like totally different watching you. Wow, that's funny because I think that my work translates pretty well to screen, yeah. considering it how does. poorly a lot of artwork translates to being on a screen. It's not bad, but it's not the real thing. Yeah, no, it's not. It's absolutely, and especially just watching your work. So it's been Oh, a, yeah, you so you came. Oh, man. You it's creepy been, being, it's, creeping yeah. me in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's an honor ah. to be crept. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a complete <laughs> pleasure. But, I mean, I, I wanted to talk about your expansive practice, the way that oh. you move, like, easily between like mediums, you know, printing, painting, textiles, sculpture, um, yes. and working with tradespeople across a variety of mediums. Yes. What led you to the visual arts? Yeah. Um, so as far as making, I'll answer the how I came into the visual arts first maybe, and then mm. I'll go into the rest. Um, I've been painting and this is going to sound very funny. I've been painting and drawing since I was a baby. And when in Sri Lanka, when you're bo- when we're born, so it's a Buddhist country and it's also a Hindu country. And so there's there's a I, there's a Vedic astrology chart that's read when kids are born. Mm. And because it's a Buddhist country, there will be a past life part of it and that's Sri Lankan Vedic astrology. It involves reincarnation. So in my past life I was an artist as well. So I've been painting and drawing since just since I was a baby. And because of the reading, my parents just supported that and gave me all the things I need. And I just was someone who went quiet drawing and painting since I was about two years old, two and a half, two years old, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So it was kind of your... Um, uh, like a pacifier, like yeah. you know, yes, soothing, sort of soother, soothing, and mm. also you know, my my brain was my brain was developed like it's brain development time. You're just a toddler, mm. you're figuring out how to think about the world and operate inside the world, and that's how I was operating inside the world. It's just making making things. Mm. Um, I'm a painter first and foremost, so flat works, but started sculpture um, probably twenty. 2012, something like that, 2013. Um, and uh, yeah, just from 
I started sculpting. So just in regards to your question, going from one medium to the next to the next, started sculpting um, just with like craft store materials. Uh, when I started sculpture, you know, I was still, I was quite poor. I didn't have any money to join the, the whole very expensive ceramic studio, hullabaloo. You have to buy membership. You need access to a kiln. You need access to instruction. It's sort of, you know, it's it's this inv- it has this involvement with this hierarchy of materials that I don't really like. Mm. Anyway, so I was kind of angsty against that too. And and kind of resorting to things from Michaels and the dollar store and putting sculpture together from polymer clay and aluminum foil and, you know, um, following a lot of YouTube instruction on sculpture as well from just like nerdy old guys making the Incredible Hulk out of polymer clay. And mm-hmm. I thought that was fantastic and beautiful sculpture. So... Um, I come from a big time sci-fi background, so it's extra respect to them, you know, extra, mm-hmm. even more than the artisanal skill. And um, and yeah, started sculpting that way. So going into th- three-dimensional, some three-dimensional work and then, uh, you know, collaborating is, uh, is a huge, co- collaborating with uh, tradespeople, um, skilled trades workers is a huge joy in my life because it's actually a lot closer to the way that I work personally as an artist. So I consider myself to be quite an artisanal crafts based artist where the art is really based on a certain skill level that you've honed over time, putting Mm. something together. Um, So I really love working with skilled tradespeople. I really like the attitude that they bring to making the, the, you know, regimen they follow, the schedule they keep, and just the plain old dedication mm. uh, to craft that I really, really appreciate. I, I admire very much. I've worked with a woodworker named Yorgo Liapis, who's just a mind-blowingly incredible woodworker, went to the main school of wood. And uh, I've worked with um, Nepsidu as well, who works in metal, metal mm. work, um, and been able to sort of manifest these visions that, you know, I kind of take these on as apprenticeships and I try to learn something, learn a thing or two in my time working with them. Mm. Um, yeah, I prefer I prefer that approach rather than having things fabricated for me mm. is working together in this mm. process. So, so you have an idea. Yeah. And then you find a collaborator. That's right. And then you collaborate on something. Sometimes it will be someone who I've known for a while. Mm. Sometimes it will be that I'll, you know, start speaking about it and manifesting it in this way. And then this person shows up. Mm. And then, you know, I just get this feeling that, oh, the time is right now for me to work in XYZ Mm. material. And then I'll just So it's got nothing to do with like the material per se. It's just the... The thing that you yeah, want to... Yeah, sometimes it'll be the person. In mm-hmm. the case of the woodwork, it was meeting Yorgo first and then just being like, yeah, okay, can we try something in wood together? Mm-hmm. So we made a piece for the mocha, um, for the first show of the mocha on, uh, as it moved to Sterling Road. Um, we built a pretty big poplar sculpture for that uh, exhibition together. Mm-hmm. So that was really great. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Oh, it's incredible it. because it's completely like counterintuitive to what we learn in art school. Yes. And 
as like an art school dropout myself. I know that <laughs> almost, you <laughs> almost same. you know, I I know that you are that you left art school. Yeah. Um, for me, it like just didn't fit at all. Yeah. Nothing about it fit. I get um, it. And, you know, I wanted to know like why, what made you break out? What forced you, you know, what made you feel that those kind of structures just didn't fit what it is that you needed to do? I don't, I, I'll tell you right now, I feel like a lot of arts programs in universities all around Canada don't fit anyone and what they need or what they need to do. And they're completely out of sorts, to be honest. Um, stuck about, stuck about, you know, I'd say 30 to 40 years in the past. Properly stuck there. So, I mean, so, I mean, I left personally. Um, I'm, I went to OCAD, now known as OCAD U, you know. Um, I was, I was, you know, accepted into the York Sheridan animation program. I was gearing up to become an animator. Um, but then I was accepted into OCAD U and... And I was like, okay, I want to move out of my parents' house and move downtown. So let me take OCAD. So I get into OCAD. I went to school for about one year, commuting from Scarborough, from Scarborough, uh, commuting from Scarborough and certain parts of Scarborough. I come from Bellamy and Eglinton. Uh, the, unless you take the GO train, which sometimes was too expensive for me, the, they were t- cutting, starting to cut bus routes in that part of town. There's parts of Scarborough, lower income parts. They just cut commuting. They cut bus routes without telling anybody. Jeez. Yeah, because poor people, they don't care about poor people yeah. in Toronto. Um, and then, you know, I started going to school for one year. I moved downtown. And, you know, I've always grown up in really sort of immigrant-centric, immigrant-heavy neighborhoods with many different communities around me and like a multi a beautiful sort of multi-community. And I moved to move downtown and I start going to OCAD and I'm like starting to realize now that the curriculum, this is an immigrant city, as I know it, it's an immigrant city. The curriculum is not reflecting anything close to that. In fact, it's a heavily Eurocentric, white-centric curriculum. And that's being, and even to the point where content to the point where parts of that canon are being repeated in courses over and over, courses I've already taken, all, again, the group of seven is showing up. Oh. Again, the group of seven is showing up. And I'm just like, because I didn't take OSAP, right? I worked my way through school. I paid for my own What's school. What's OSAP? Uh, Ontario Student Loan. It's like the student oh, assistance program. Yeah. So I didn't really, I took, the first year I took some and I paid it back later because I started working. Um I didn't take OSEP. So because I was paying for the courses, I was mm. even more frustrated. You know, I'm paying for this. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, kind of wondering why they were stuffing Asian and African art into one course. Mm. Starting to feel a little bit offended there. By this time only are my critical skills really starting to develop because I don't come from like a cultural capital family. Like I had to develop critical sk- thinking later, you know, mm. and learn about it, how to do that thing. But um, starting to get really mad and, you know, by the, by the midway through the third year, I'm really upset. So I just left school. I was like, screw this. Like, I don't want to do this. Um, let me, I need to think about things. And, and I took a break, took a break for a year, actually. And I lived on the Pacific coast of Nicaragua. I ran a, I managed a surf lodge. 
what excuse me yeah i managed like, to surf launch yeah but, but but like how did you how did you transition from the middle of toronto yeah, to yeah. nicaragua yeah yeah i was seeing a guy at the time and now, okay well that know, makes sense yeah he's my baby's father yeah. it's david guyash and uh he we just met and we fell in love and then he's like i got this amazing job offer you know i kind of want to go um but will you come And I was like, I'm in school. What are you talking about? I'm very young, impressionable girl mm -hmm. at this time. <laughs> and then, you know, school was school starts to really, he's left now. School really starts to piss me off. And I'm reconsidering this offer very much so. So I did, I left. I didn't register for courses the next semester. And I just bounced. And it did a world of good for my practice, a world of good for my approach to a failing curriculum and how to deal with that mm. as a person rather than feeling sad and down, which I have every right and angry, mm -hmm, every right mm -hmm. to do it. What I did instead when I came back was um, approach it in a really sort of hopeful, optimistic, and slightly aggressive way mm. where where I'm pushing my right as a as a paying student yeah. to be reflected somewhat at least in this curriculum. Mm. Um, as a result, my work became more honest. I found a You know, my, during my time away, finding a creative voice, visual language that's my own. And it's uh, I kind of do, doing all this work to decolonize my own visual language in my work. It's a lot of work to do that when you're brought up in between two colonies. I'm Sri Lankan, which is one colony. And I'm living in Canada, which is another colony. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I was a hard go of it. But I think it's really worth it to take yourself out of school and drop the hell out of art school if you can but but all that time you were producing i mean you were you you yeah. you, you were drawing you were engaged you were a choice you know i mean that's but yeah but like that is so that's so it's really fascinating that that's the route that you know you believed in yourself enough yeah and to to kind I'm of lucky. see yourself separate from the system yeah i'm lucky because, not everybody gets yeah to. no 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 because i i come from a family where nobody's ever done art at all nobody yeah, doesn't same. nobody knows what it is like why you go in to go and study it <laughs> yeah. like why you know this is For the kind sure. of thing you like kids do with crayons like why are you gonna go and study it yeah um so i i just had this feeling that if i was not going to go into that system yeah. i would not be an artist because yeah. the system makes you an artist right and, it's the validation and of the yes, system yes yeah. yes especially like a white system a colonial oh. system it it gives you like a special like badge of honor you know right um which is so toxic and it just like kills so many people's dreams because like any system any colonial system it is deeply deeply flawed yes you know and it's destroyed like many more people mm. than it's ever helped yes i agree um how like what was it what was it in you 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 say that like you didn't oh have God. a choice i didn't have a choice because i know that i have the opportunity i have the leg up on the situation where i know what i'm supposed to be in this life mm. and it's kind of i mean i've had i've entertained the possibility of other professions Um, I cooked my way through school when I was saying that I paid for my school. I was mm -hmm. a cook. Um, you know, I thought I would be an animator when it's time to um, consider school. But I've always known that I'm supposed to be an art, make artwork. So, mm -hmm. so you know, it was, I had this kind of like weird spiritual anchor. Yes. That's a little bit, might even sound hokey to people who don't believe in reincarnation because for all intents and purposes, it's completely, looks like completely a fictional 
you know, it, there's no real evidence of anything like that. But um, but I have this strange anchor. It's actually amazing to talk to you about this. This strange anchor that tells me that I'm I'm right to keep. I was right to keep going. You were. Yeah. Abs- uh, absolutely, <laughs> you were. My gosh, you definitely, definitely were. Yeah, but I have no proof to show you. Why, you do. No. Why, that, this yeah. is the proof. This is the proof. Right. No. Yeah. This I'm still here. Proof. I'm still like, here. No, I'm the proof. Yeah. Your work is the proof. <laughs> Your work, you yes. know, the fact that it's that it moves people, that it that's like, kind. No, Thanks, no, I work it, it's very, true. I work so hard. I know, I know, and I think you, I, and I think a lot of people, like in in like you know, like who busy creating things, mm. like we just don't see what it is that we doing because we just it's so much. It's a lot, but, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean. Sometimes I get to stay, take a step back and see. I mean, I just did the Kerner residency at Queen's BFA, mm. and um, having realizing as I speak to the students in the BFA program that oh my God, you know, I've come this far. I'm able to offer them something. Mm-hmm. You know, that was really. I found I got to see what I have to offer and what yeah. I have to give mm. to a younger generation so that was like my self stamp yeah I was able to give myself that cool badge like mm. oh you know I helped a lot of um up and coming sort of younger artists mm. so that was really um fulfilling mm. and nice for me yeah and, and I think when when you see that and you feel like wow like this is actually it yeah like, kind of thing for sure you know and and yeah, it's yeah. something that um, I didn't get myself oh you know how about now though you're doing oh cool, yeah no awesome, no no cool no it's cool it's cool i mean now but but it's like through students you know because yeah. i can see um you know i tried to give them what i didn't get myself so that's really it it's and that's it and and like kind of seeing some you know uptake of that yeah is, it, that's what it is that's, that's kind all of what it's about, is eh? really now i'm is. realizing i didn't know before you know now in the past couple of years only am I I'm raising a daughter seeing what I have to offer to her from my life mm-hmm. seeing what I have to offer to other young people only now am I realizing this I didn't used to know about that I don't think you do mm-hmm. until a little bit later yeah yeah and it feels wonderful mm-hmm. like you can't pay it's the best. For, you can't it's buy best. that you can't pay for that you know that's only sweat equity mm-hmm. that can get you to that place where you can really offer that thing mm-hmm. I love that term, like sweat equity. Sweat equity, baby, all day. That's what's gonna. That's what it's gonna be when we burn all the money. We burn all the banks down. Mm. It's just it's sweat like equity. Each other and each other equity. and the work you do. Yeah. That's all it's gonna be. <laughs> Rajni, I want to talk about just a dark like, prophecy. Yeah, <laughs> I want to talk, talking about kind of like prophecies. I want to talk about like the Traveler series. Yeah, this like really really popular series of yours, and you know how it speaks directly to ideas of sovereignty and identity and personhood, um, and you know how like the diasporic person is a person who sees the future, is in the future, in the is future. like embodied, you know, within yes. the future. Yes. Um, how did these beings evolve? Sure. So so the Traveler series showed up in a solo exhibition that I did uh, with my now dealer in Toronto. And it was this person that I painted 
didn't quite belong in the exhibition. But I saw a photo of a of a soldier, I think a Mongolian soldier, black and white photo. And I saw this person and I saw the incredible sort of the compound, like the composite way that this person's armor and sort of very opulent protective gear and armor was put together. And as you look around this photograph, you can see there's like, you know, there's a couple different influences going on there. I know under the time it was united under the empire of Genghis Khan, but which spanned, you know, many, many countries and even several continents, I believe. So there are so many influences just on this one photograph. Fine. So I see that. So that's one thing. I think I saw that probably 2017 or something. And then later I come across paintings of Mongolian soldiers. And, you know, I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's cool. I remember the photo that I'd seen a couple of years ago or the year before. But then here are like, again, we have these paintings of men on horseback wearing and off the horse wearing these textiles from several different parts of the world as we know it today, different countries as we know them today. All together, there's something that's clearly sort of like Islamic world type of loom. There's embroidery from like, you know, the middle of India. There's like certain types of things. And I'm just like looking at these paintings, I'm starting to realize, you know, thinking about the nomadic nature of these soldiers and the fact that they're people of color. And I'm looking at something that was painted in another part of the world other than here. And, and you know, the idea of the immigrant as being, especially, you know, nowadays, climate refugees, immigrants, climate refugees, having to constantly move. So these are the ideas, this is the way these ideas are forming together, mm -hmm. Traveler Series. Immigrants are, climate refugees especially, and immigrants in general, having to keep on moving throughout the planet to different places because they don't quite have roots anywhere. In a lot of cases, they don't have a place to go back to because leaving costs them what they, the roots that they had back home. And, and having to keep on moving and accumulating now these garments, these protective wares, these technologies, adopting different social codes and norms, adopting different ways of living together, dealing with the new landscapes with which they're confronted, oftentimes very hostile. So, so I start to think about the immigrant as someone that's nomadically kind of moving along, moving from place to place. And then, you know, kind of comes this idea of mutation, because I'm a big science fiction person, science fiction since I was very small up until now. Sometimes it's very nerdy and embarrassing. I don't really care. I think science fiction is something that, that uh, deserves, you know, some of the highest honors of works of mm -hmm. art, works of prophecy, literature, um, satire, social commentary. Um, but, you know, because of my love of science fiction, mutation also kind of came into it when I considered the idea of the climate refugee and the way that humans will now have to change to suit their landscape, which is becoming increasingly aggressively hostile towards them. So so I'm thinking of all these things together. And by that time, I paint this picture. And then, you know, it goes very well. It sells to my friend, actually, Alex McLeod. Hey, Alex. Um, and And... 
you know, I start to become very interested in this series and exploring and expanding on this idea of of a climate refugee person, which is actually the future of planet Earth after, you know, because I think we can all see that white supremacy and white empires are collapsing in on themselves. Mm-hmm. One day they'll be eaten by strong people because they'll become very weak. Remember Rome? Mm. They become very weak and yeah. soft and the hard people will eat them. Mm. So so that's what these are some of the things I think about because this is this immigrant race of mutated people are, you know, by the time this comes along they are actually inheriting the whole planet. Mm-hmm. So they're re they're sort of adjusting systems living together with the land de or uncolonizing or in some cases maybe they're recolonizing they're going off world they're coming back resources from other planets mm-hmm. so there's magical technology now because a lot of technology used to be magical before we invented mm-hmm. it right so so just that idea all those ideas kind of swim together in the traveler series mm-hmm. is that how you subject matter always works as it always kind of morph and yeah, it you changes know, quite grow a bit. and change yeah it mutates and, yeah mutates sorry yeah and it and and it kind of um becomes something else you you quite um not restless but uh kind of like in motion like yeah. your you know like your practice <laughs> is I'm like, tired the word is tired Kanita yeah. I'll be feeling tired yeah, but but yeah. I mean you yeah. know it's joyful for me to move between but uh, but but you like even like your um like looking at in the studio now you know kind of yeah. like working on multiple projects working like all over the place but, and thinking about different um things is that just yeah. the way that you yeah I have quite a you know I do I really enjoy like yoga. It involves a bit of meditation, but I do have quite a like active mind and mm. I'm not it's not I'm not bragging because mm. as we all know when uh, there's the downside of that which mm. is that it, you know sometimes I, I can spread myself a little too thin, take on too much. Mm-hmm. Um but uh most of the time it's a joyful way for me to practice art mm. because as I diversify the way that I put my vision forward each way will inform the other now so I'll mm-hmm. start a sculpture a little sculpture series and I'm like oh cool I kind of want to paint about that so I'll save it for a later later day um so I have work so I have you know other things to expand on or what I'm working on already say in painting that sculpture work will start to influence it mm-hmm. so in a way my work you know it is there's a bit of a world pre- world, world, world building. building practice that's mm-hmm. happening inside there and it is to a degree sometimes it's self-referent self-referential mm-hmm. so it'll bounce off of things and you know another piece and another piece and another piece it for me it like it's really lovely and it also works to kind of keep this consistency of like there's like a consistent and steady growth mm-hmm. of this of this manifestation of of this world yeah. you know there, and i enjoy that there are two things that i want to ask you yeah about the traveler series okay. the fact that you yourself travel and that you've traveled back to sri lanka yeah and your practice in clay there yeah that was cool um i think that is like 
amazing just because you were able to uh, develop a certain kind of skill really yeah. quickly. How, oh my how, God. Like, tell me about that. Just looking yeah. at those like photographs, it was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I can send you some and when you post the podcast, they can yes. see a few. Yes. So for Columboscope, the lovely Natasha Ginwala, um, who curated the year that I was participating in it, you know, I told her the things I wanted to do. I was like, I really want to work in clay. And I think it'll be important for my practice. Clay comes from the mountains in Sri Lanka, and it's beautiful orange clay. Mm. And um, and she actually set me up with this incredible sculptor named Sarath Chandrajiva, and he lives on the west coast of Sri Lanka. So I went there. I was staying nearby. And for about two weeks, we made these terracotta works, which he was very nervous about because clay is not something you don't rush that. Mm. Clay does its, and I haven't worked in clay before. You're not supposed to rush, give everything time, it has to dry properly, steadily, without changes in uh, humidity. Mm -mm. And then, you know, I had a big idea of many, many pieces. Of course, it got changed over time for what, what for the time and mm -hmm. what we could do for this art festival because we are to fire all of these items and display them at Columboscope at the Colombo Public Library. Mm -hmm. So we're working on these and, you know, I come up with these sort of, I really love, I really love making sort of this abstract sculpture um, that responds to the shapes of science fiction and science fiction, we can call them maybe artifacts like spacecraft mm. and, you know, wands and sort of medical equipment or, you know, energy in space, like mm. these types of things that science fiction is replete with, mm. um, armor and, and, you know, special type magical technology. So I start making these, designing these shapes and everyone's kind of laughing because they haven't, you know, they're quite traditional sculpture, quite a traditional sculpture studio. They normally do clay busts, commemorative busts, mm. bronze work. So they're, I'm coming up with these really whimsical shapes and showing them. They're like, that one looks like a fish. That mm. one looks like a rocket. Cool. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we made these and I got to work with Sarat and his wonderful family. Um, and he was a very patient, humble teacher whose own work, I had no idea he was such a prolific artist mm. in Sri Lanka. He made some work in the 80s. It reminds me of mine. I'm wow. just like, it was, it's so like futuristic. He had this period where he was exploring cosmology. I'm just like, I was like, just blown away. Okay. Mm. Um, and um, so working with Sarat. So we put forward, I think it was like six major shapes, major sculptures, uh, heavy. When I say major, they're like large and heavy. Mm. And then a s whole set of kind of smaller conical Yes. sculptures that I that I did with yeah. him. Yeah. I want to talk about like those like conical sculptures. Yes. The, um they kind of look projectile and then on the outside they've got these like circles. Yeah, these bulbs. The on bulbs. Them. Yes. And it it made me think of um plant life yeah, and yeah. peas. Yeah, totally. And oh, and oh, what amazing. is like what is the thing? What is your thing with like mutation and botanical drawings? Right. Like botany. There's something like botanical. Yeah, I just love, I mean, first of all, I love botanical illustration. And it's like, that's some of the first, like that 
the whole scientific illustration world was some of my first introduction to how artwork, not artwork, um, illustration in particular and its functions, right? Like it's an educational way of producing artwork mm-hmm. as a specific, it has a purpose. Um, I grew up, you know, my dad bred birds very, very well and successfully. As a result, he was, you know, friends with these members of Zoological Society and in and around Colombo mm-hmm. um, in regards to birds specifically among other species. So we'd actually go on expeditions around the island to certain national parks and his friends would be on buses. And I remember this once I got really, really sick, like I drank bad water and I had a fever and it was really messed up. But, uh, you know, they would, we would go on these expeditions and they would capture new species for documentation, releasing later documentation. But I remember, you know, some of these uncles of mine, they're my dad's friends, coming to the house and they have this tiny cage in their hand. And it is a observation cage from which you draw these birds. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember scientific illustration happening right in front of me at my, you know, din- at the dinner table at our house. And then later on, seeing the volumes of books that they were producing on endemic species in Sri Lanka from the mountains, from the south. Beautiful drawings. By that time, they're, you know, hand painted plates inside mm-hmm. ginormous books published in, in Sri Lanka. Um, and so like, I had this like really cool early introduction to not only the beauty of scientific illustration, but the importance of like the educational aspect of scientific illustration. Only later do I, you know, start to learn about, uh, and critically think on the categorization and taxonomy of species and that whole sort of the critical theory around that. Mm-hmm. But at the time for me, it was pure, it was educational, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And when I came here and I started to look at, you know, um, a friend of mine gifted me this beautiful book called The Cabinet of Natural Curiosities. And it's so, um, so stunning and beautiful. Um, And that's a great example of botanical illustration among other types of um, scientific illustration. But I'm a huge fan of that style of drawing. Mm. So I'm really drawn to, of course, the shapes of it, which are simplified and flattened in Mm. this thing. But of course, you know, the shapes of plants and plant life is magical in and of itself. And we don't respect the utter magic that happens in the plant kingdom. Mm. For example, the seed is one idea that nature that the universe came up with that is unparalleled in its beauty and sophistication it is a structure that preserves life it can put life to sleep it can awaken it again centuries later no problem Mm. just needs some water and soil and we can you know there's entire seed banks it protects the life inside it extremely well for some reason the structural integrity is like perfect and beautiful Mm. and you know that's an example of something the plant kingdom just slap you know put together you know we can't make any we can't make a storage unit that's as strong and capable as that Mm. you know so i'm constantly in in awe of of the way that the universe puts shapes and and things together i'm always looking at that for my own work as inspiration Mm. the universe yeah (laughs) so do you think that's where like your environmental consciousness comes from just having a sense of yeah how yeah. we fit into the scheme of things yeah and- how we fit into the scheme of things and the importance of you know having reverence for and educating people about um about the natural world we're a part of the natural world so it's like i always have this thing when people talk about humans and animals 
and because we're animals mm. and no one ever talked no one wants to talk about that because we're so high-minded and smart mm. and cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> so cool that we kill each other and and ruin the planet but but you know I don't really like to separate I want to be close get closer to the natural world I don't want to be separate from that separate mm. from that because the natural world is is beautiful we come from it you know it teaches us it can teach us about ourselves um you know i think in a lot of cases more than what we've written to teach ourselves mm. um so it's, that's how i feel about the natural world and universe. i i think it's like it's very cool this a mixture of like manga and science fiction oh. and the na- natural world like yes. how does that like blend they're not that different in the style that they have been made though there are these flattened sort of like flattened represent they're like these kind of it's almost abstraction of the figure slightly like it's an ideal form always it's simplified a little bit to get an idea across um there's parts about it that are both of those styles of execution uh of putting making images both have this purpose that they utterly fulfill mm. you know they're effective um as a as an artist slash crafts person i'm really interested in the um efficiency of both of those styles of art making mm. and they're totally art making by the way manga illustrators are artists scientific illustrators are artists you know they have to it takes their ideas to make mm. us think about ourselves and our world and like figurines superhero figurines i mean those figurines are like you know that's that's kind of how i learned how to sculpt right on youtube watching um watching people make like uh fi- um figurines of of superheroes and also monsters mm. and like you know aliens from like the movie and like predator and stuff like that just um also you know i'm a big fan of special effects and um animatronics tutorials um because there's a lot of people doing really cool like cosplay beautiful cosplay costumes carving it sculpting it themselves mm-hmm. you know applying fur and hair themselves in different ways i really love that i think that's like top notch new materials research personally i do mm-hmm. like it i find it you know like your broad interest you know your interest is so broad you some materials so broad yeah like how do you how does this fit into like a day in the life of like rajani oh, pereira cool. the artist oh man what a question that is um yeah i mean i've been on a production schedule for about 7 years now straight wow so everything and now i'm booked until i think spring of 2026 So so I What mean What does being booked mean? Just shows end to end pretty oh, much. Yeah. Like or residencies. Work. Yeah, and or and existing work, you know, there's a good amount of it that's kind of loaned from from the buyers or institutions that have purchased them, you know. A lot of my work has there's some pieces that and this is a great problem to have. I'm not complaining. Mm. I'm not complaining. But but you know people will buy it and they don't really get to see it some of the buyers i do i feel for them because the work has been kind of traveling the world in some cases a little bit fragile materials like paper mm. i don't want them to travel anymore at least mm. for one year mm. um 
but the work does get loaned out again. But anyway, sorry. The way that all these interests and materials fit into a day in the life is that at this time it is quite sort of regimented. Um, it's planned. It's pre-planned, and I uh, I love to you know I I don't love to organize, but I understand how organizing my work and my time over months and years now is letting me have regenerative. Re- regenerative, refreshing time, mm. resting time and self-care time. Because if I don't do that, all the all that sort of free time does diminish. I need that more than ever now. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, in regards to new materials and something cool and exciting is the horse that I put together for Bur- in Birmingham um, for the Commonwealth Games that mm. and the center of the exhibition was a synthesized um synthesized horse with a rider mutant mutant rider on top of it and it's from the traveler series and um so we had to do get a taxidermy form for that and we had to shave two ikea cowhide rugs and apply them onto this taxidermy form foam Mm. horse form modifying the form quite a bit and so we had to go into the stan winston school of special effects they've made all of their um, head technician sort of available online uh, as courses. So we were able to another amazing new material sculpture resources, the Stan Winston School of Special Effects and uh, learning that thing. So that was the last thing. We're installing that again in Philadelphia in December. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The meteoric rise huh? of Rajni, really. That's Thank nice. You. <laughs> no, it's not nice. It's like it's the truth. It's like, you know, you everywhere like you you've got like, you know, there's just this kind of love and urgency that's like surrounding you, you it's, know, and your uh, work. It feels and, really good to mm. have. It feels really because of how hard I work. Mm. It is nice to hear you say that. It does feel good when people say that. Yeah, I mean we I'm, appreciate we appreciate you. you I'm find glad that you do. Artists. Thank you. Thank I you. only make what I love, and yeah. I honestly make my work, and yes. I work hard. So yeah. thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with us today. My Thank you. absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to With Open Mouths. Special thanks to our guest, Rajni Pereira, for speaking with us today. This podcast is hosted by myself, Konita Lilla, and produced by Agnes Etherington Art Centre, in partnership with Queen's University's campus radio station, CFRC 101.9 FM. The music is composed by Jamil 3DN and produced by Alroy EC3 Cox III. Episodes of With Open Mouths are released monthly, and you can find them on Digital Agnes, CFRC's website, and on your favorite podcasting platform. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and subscribe now so that you don't miss a single episode. We'll see you next time.